All right, guys, welcome. Let's get started. Um, my name is Josh. I hope you guys are having a good weekend so far. Who here, this is your first time at Moore ever? Oh, that's great. That's really exciting. Everyone who didn't put up their hand is a student here, so uh, that's great. Well, my name is Josh. Um, I have been at Summit. Uh, I graduated from my undergrad here in 2016, and I've been on staff for about three years. Um, I do some of our marketing and administrative stuff, some recruitment stuff, and then I also teach uh, in our nonprofit program, so kind of the business side of our of our courses. Um, and so today I want to talk to you guys about social media and specifically how as people, as leaders who are pursuing godly character, um, how do we reflect that in our digital lives, right? This weekend is all about character. This weekend broadly is how do we live godly lives? How do we live lives that have character reflective of the God that we are professing to follow? And as the world is increasingly digital and increasingly connected, we need to be asking, does my online profile reflect my real world character? Does my digital identity reflect my real world one? Are my faith, my values, my calling, are those things being reflected in how I present myself on social media and how I engage with other people? And so today I want to address that. How do we use social media well while ensuring that our character remains intact and present? Um, I wanted to do an exercise here, but I don't think we have time. We ran out of time in the first block, um, so you just have to like see their results. But we did a quick survey where I wanted to see uh, what social media networks you guys are using. And I just realized I'm old because Facebook is dead and Twitter is even deader. Um, but more importantly, I want to focus you guys on here for a second. And this is the number of hours we're spending on social media each week. And we can actually just do this. I just won't mark it down. But who has an iPhone? Okay, I think you can do it on Android. I just like don't know how. But I want you guys to go go to your settings. Right, we're on settings, and you can go to screen time. We had settings, screen time, and then you can like tap on this little part at the top where it says the number of hours. Uh, and then change it here so that it shows your last seven days. And then you can show here, um, under most used, you can do show categories. Are you guys there? Do you guys all see the social media category? How many hours are you guys spending on social media then in the last seven days? 55 minutes. Hey, that's, that's my dream. 55 minutes? Anyone over like three hours? How many hours did you? Four hours. Four hours, not bad. Anyone over 10 hours? Oh, this is going to get shameful. Anyone over like 15 hours? Okay, I'm going to stop. Okay, do you, want to, do you want to share how many hours? I won't judge you. 20? What? It's like a full-time job that you're not getting paid for. Dr. Hildebrand, how many hours were you on social media? Uh, I'm fasting. Yeah, three hours in the last year and it was an accident. Um, right? So we can see, for all of us here, except Wilf, um, social media is very prominent and it's used by almost all of us in, in a meaningful way. We're spending hours 
some of us more than others, uh, engaging in online connections, engaging in social media. And so this afternoon I want to tackle that and I want to engage with two realities that are happening here. First, everyone in this room wants to be someone of godly character. Right? I'm just going to assume that. If you're here this weekend, you're here because you want to be someone who is living a life that reflects a godly character. Is that accurate? We're tracking? But second, everyone in this room, except Wolf, is using some kind of social media on a regular basis. I'll stop bullying you. Uh, everyone in this room is using social media on a kind of basis, on a, on a regular basis. So we're, we're people who are called to be and trying to be godly leaders, and we're using social media regularly. And these two, two realities aren't in conflict, but there are challenges in navigating both of those things. And so today, I want to work through some of those, those challenge areas. And so specifically, here's what we're going to do. I want to talk about five character traps. Uh, five, five traps that can be found on social media. So five things that you need to remain aware of as a leader and as a social media user. These are five things that can be detrimental to your pursuit of godly character. And then I want to go over a few broad tips for using social media well. Um, and we have a lot to go over today, so if I'm going too fast, feel free to like interrupt and ask questions, but I want to make sure uh, we cover everything here. Sound good? All right. Um, one note before we get started, I think there's something interesting when we look at how Christians specifically and how leaders, Christian leaders, engage with cultural trends. Because historically, we kind of jump to one of two extremes. We either like fully embrace things or we actively boycott things. And so when I was growing up, we saw this with like... Uh, like video games, for example, where you have like youth pastors and, te- and Christian teens who are like, oh, I love video games, we're going to play video games, we're going to play all the video games, whatever ones we want. And then you have like Christians who are like, video games are of the devil and anyone who plays them is going to hell, right? Or like when my parents were growing up, it was like movie theaters and bowling alleys, right? You had some like rebellious Christians who like went to the movies and like thought movies were fine and thought Christians should make movies. And then you had Christians who thought like movie theaters were made unilateral by Satan, right? Uh, and thought movie theaters like the worst thing. And we do this with social media too, where we like, we have some kind of Christians who think that like social media is fine, and Christians who maybe more specifically actively embrace social media and want to be on like the cusp of new trends and new networks and new apps that they need to be using. And then you have Christians who think that social media is always wrong and needs to be like avoided and abstained from and not used, right? Especially with something like Snapchat. You saw this, where like some youth pastors thought like everyone needs to delete Snapchat. Some thought we should all be on Snapchat so we can be like Snapchat evangelists or whatever. Um, And so today, I want to be clear that my goal is to not go to either one of those extremes. I'm not here to tell you that like social media is always good and you should be using it as much as you can, but I'm also not here to tell you that social media is wrong and you should delete it. Rather, I want to look at how as leaders and as leaders pursuing character, how do we navigate the tension between those benefits of social media and some of those risks. Cool? Alright. So then our first character trap. The first trap that as leaders we can fall into is, is pride. With the rise of social media, we find ourselves living in front of an audience, a digital audience, more than ever before. I always feel bad when I like hop on Facebook and there's this like viral video that's going around of like a high school kid who like slipped in the cafeteria on his like water and like fell or like 
had his pants fall down in front of the class or something like this embarrassing moment that historically would have happened in a vacuum and then been have, for, have been forgotten is now on the internet for everyone to see, right? So when I was a teenager, when I did stupid things at school, people would laugh at me for like an hour and like make fun of me about it for maybe like two days, but then it was forgotten. But now for you guys, you're living digital lives in front of a digital audience and, and our lives are documented and presented more than ever before. And so with that, we increasingly feel the need to craft or curate the image we put forward, right? We only highlight the good things in our lives. We filter the things that we share with our friends and our families and our networks. Sometimes literally, right? Anytime we want to post a picture on Instagram or on Facebook, I don't know, Facebook's probably not used anymore, on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, we run it through a filter. We punch it through Visco or whatever we're using to make sure it's like cleaned up and aesthetically pleasing, we, we, we filter the image that we're presenting to people. But the risk here is this means that the feedback that we're getting back is also filtered. As we put forward, if we, as we share with our friends a selective, refined image of our identity, the feedback and engagement we get back from people is also refined and filtered. As we show the world, we show our friends, we show ourselves at our very best. We share about our our highs, we share about our peaks, we share about our achievements at the best moments of our lives. And then we filter them to make them even look better. Um, the, the, the image, or sorry, the feedback we get back from that is also filtered as well. Our digital image is usually a collection of our best, proudest moments, and the feedback we get from people is based on that curated identity. Do you see what I'm getting at here? And so the danger then is when we filter our image, we also filter the feedback we're getting. As we present an unrealistically perfect identity, we receive unreasonably inflated positive feedback in response. And so every time someone praises me, compliments me, likes a photo or whatever, it's not based on the, my full self, my true self, but it's based on a carefully curated and crafted identity, right? So contrast this to like the real world. So on Facebook, I control what I put forward. So I say, you know, I got like uh, an A on my assignment and I ate at this cool restaurant. I just got like a high score on, uh, I'm, I'm playing Apex Legends and I'm playing Apex Legends. Oh man, I'm so irrelevant. It's like Fortnite, but better, um, right? So we like post these like achievements. I just got like engaged. I got married this summer, so I post like my professional photos, right? But in the real world, um, I can't filter that. So when I sit down with Dr. Hildebrand here at the end of the year for my employment review as a teacher, I can't just go up to, to Dr. Hildebrand and say, "Well, like good news, twenty students got A pluses in my course." Right? I have 40 students in my course, right? So if I go to Wilf and say 20 students got A's, here's the best paper I received. This student gave me really good feedback. No, that's not how it works. Wilf will have feedback from students that liked me, he'll have feedback from students that didn't like me. He'll see students who passed my course and he'll see students who failed my course. And so the feedback Wilf will give me back is based on a full picture. It's based on the full identity as me as a teacher. Most social media, we don't do that. We only highlight positive things, and then we forget that that feedback is filtered. And so that can lead to a deep sense of of pride, of inflated egos. We can forget that our social networks aren't seeing the true me, but they're seeing a curated me. And then the problem is, is we place confidence in this curated image that we've built. We become prideful over positive feedback, positive engagements, forgetting or neglecting that these engagements aren't based on our true identity. So when 
I meet Wilf, I, be- I could begin to think that I'm the best teacher in the world because Wilf only sees positive feedback from students, right? Or imagine you went to the doctor. Imagine Nico went to the doctor. Does everyone know Nico? Everyone say hi, Nico. Right? So imagine Nico had like a really weird rash on his ankle, right? And he go- he does. Okay, he hasn't posted that on social media, so I didn't know, right? He has a really weird rash on his ankle. And so he goes to a checkup at the doctor, and the doctor says, Nico, like, how are you feeling? And Nico says, well, like, I feel really good. Like, I'm six foot 12, so I'm super tall. Uh, you know, like, I've lost a bit of weight. My skin's nice. Like, my arms are growing. You know, my heart's fine. Heart rate is good. I don't know what doctors do, clearly. Um, right? But he neglects to tell the doctor about his rash. And so the doctor says, okay, like, you know, he checks everything, doesn't look at your ankle, and he gives you a report that says, Nico, perfect health, right? So Nico looks at that and says, I'm great. The doctor thinks I'm great. Because he's given the doctor not a full sense of who he is. He's filtered his identity to that doctor, right? And that's dangerous because Nico then leaves that appointment thinking everything's fine because he didn't show the doctor the problems he was having. And that's what we do on social media is we put this curated image forward and then the feedback we get says everything is great because people are only evaluating us based on our positive elements and we neglect the problems that we have and we build pride based on this identity. And as a caveat here, I'm not saying your identity or self-worth should be rooted in what others say to begin with, and we'll get to that in a bit. But what I'm saying is if you're only receiving artificially positive feedback from people based on an artificially positive image, it can lead to a sense of pride. And as leaders, as people who are leaders for Christ, we need to be so mindful of the pride that we can develop, especially on social media. Does this make sense? So our solution here is to figure out how to go to the next slide. Nailed it. Our solution here, how do we avoid this? Oh, now I went too far. Okay, we need to find confidence in our full identity. We need to find confidence in the entirety of who we are, the entirety of how God created us. So we need to find confidence, not in a curated, refined digital image, but we find confidence in our entire image, our flaws, our imperfections, our weaknesses, because that's how Christ created us. We don't find pride and confidence in filtered praise through digital engagement, but we find confidence in knowing that I've been created in the image of God. Right? Do you see the contrast here? This is saying we find confidence in just our best. This is saying we find confidence and identity in only the good parts about who I am. But this is saying my entirety, me as a complete person, has been made in the image of God, and that's where I get my value and self-worth and identity from. This, this here, this, this leads to a skewed perception and hides our faults and weaknesses. But when we find identity in Christ, this says we're loved despite those weaknesses and imperfections. So as leaders who are striving to avoid pride, as leaders, as people pursuing character, and to avoid the trap of pride on social media, we need to find confidence in the reality that we are made in the image of Christ, and our full identity, not just our filtered identity, is something to be cherished and proud of. Does this make sense? 
Second, the second pride trap, the second way we can fall into pride on social media is we celebrate success and shallow achievements. This one's like kind of a pet peeve for me, so if I get a little ranty, I'm sorry. Um, but social media is this weird thing where it allows us to be more connected than ever before, and it has the potential to magnify the best and brightest. It has the potential to celebrate huge accomplishments and achievements and innovation and impact. But instead, on social media, we usually emphasize things that typically like don't matter at all, right? We place so much emphasis on how many followers we get, or the number of likes we get on a post, or how good our like Instagram aesthetic is, or our Snapchat streaks, or how many people are like viewing your Twitch stream when you're playing Fortnite, or whatever it is. We put like emphasis on these things that ultimately don't really matter. Or we like we share things like puppy videos and who has the cutest dog that did the cutest thing, or like whatever it is. But social media is so full of things that in the long run, and if I'm being honest, in the short run, really don't matter at all. And the challenge for us as leaders is we begin to draw pride from this because we think it does matter, right? And guys, if I can be real, like I travel and I engage with like youth quite a bit and I see this all the time. I hear students talking about how many new Instagram followers they have or what they're like snapchat streak is or something went like a little viral online and guys like if i can spoil it it doesn't matter like you're gonna reach a point where you're gonna look back and the number of social interactions you have the things that we celebrate online don't matter in the context of eternity but also just in the context of your development as a leader and your development as someone who's going to be uh an adult or a pastor or a worker or whatever it is. And so as people pursuing character, this has become a problem because we become prideful and we can consider ourselves successful um, in these areas. I had like... I was like talking at a youth group once and we were kind of talking about like something similar but like what success looks like as Christians and talking about like living godly lives and like pursuing um, like what Christ called us to and talking about like the Great Commission and a kid was like he's like yeah but I have like 14 kills in Fortnite and it's like I don't care like it doesn't matter and guys like I'm not knocking social media I'm not knocking Fortnite I'm not knocking whatever you do but I'm saying as leaders as people of character if this is where we're valuing success if when I ask you, what do you view your greatest success to be, and it's something that's based on social media or gaming or whatever it is, then we've lost focus along the way. We've taken things of no significant consequence and deemed them important, and then we view ourselves as successful when we're accomplished in those areas. And our solution here is really simple. We need to refocus and celebrate things of actual importance. As people pursuing godly character, we need to find accomplishment in things of godly importance. We need to pursue the things that God has called us to pursue and celebrate success in those areas. We need to look at the things that Christ valued, look at the things that Jesus valued, look at the things that Scripture places a priority on, and evaluate, how do I do in those areas? How well am I discipling people? How well am I sharing my faith with people? How well am I serving the poor, the marginalized, the hungry? Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And so this should become our baseline for success. Am I doing justice? Am I actively pursuing a more just world? Am I loving kindness? Catch these verbs. Do I love kindness? Not just do I practice kindness, but do I love kindness? Am I walking humbly? Am I walking with humility with God? 
So then we judge our metrics, we judge our success, not based on shallow achievements. I don't base my success and my pride and my identity on shallow achievements that culture dictates. I look to Christ and I look to Scripture and what's important there, and I evaluate my success on those things. Do you see the contrast here? If we're to avoid pride, we need to find confidence in our full identity and begin to celebrate things of actual importance. Second trap we fall into is shallowness. Shallowness. Social media, we talked about this a little bit, but it's more connected than ever before. I'm from Ontario, so social media is great because I can, I can uh, connect with family in different provinces. I can see my aunts and uncles are posting. Uh, my cousin just had a baby last week. Very exciting. I can like see videos of this baby that I probably wouldn't get to see otherwise, right? I've traveled a fair bit, so I have Facebook friends uh, in you know South Sudan and Uganda. I was in Uganda for a few months, and we had this uh, taxi driver who added me on Facebook. So now we're Facebook friends, and like once a month he sends me a picture of his kid. Super weird. Super weird, guys. Right? But this is the benefit of social media is we're, we're so connected. We're so connected with people that maybe we didn't even know that well to begin with. But the issue here is we have more connections but fewer relationships. We have less meaningful connections. We have less, less depth and quality in the engagements that we have. Emerging research is indicating that people today are statistically more lonely than ever before. And when I say people, especially your generation, or maybe our, can I say our generation and just pretend I'm still young, right? Our generation is lonelier than ever before. Think about that for a second. How many of you have more than like a thousand uh, like Instagram followers or people you follow? Yeah, the girl who spends like 30 hours a week on Instagram. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, I'm calling you out. You're great. Glad you're here. Right? Uh, right? Who has more than like a thousand? Do you guys still use Facebook? Yeah, right? Okay. Who has more than like a thousand Facebook friends or more than 500 Facebook friends? Right? Facebook. I know, I know. I'm old. Who has MySpace followers? Uh Right? So we're in a world where we have thousands of connections. I have thousands of people that I follow or follow me or friend or have on my Snapchat contacts or whatever it is, right? But we're more lonely statistically than at any other point in modern history, right? Statistically, people feel more isolated, right? It's the same thing. Connected with thousands of people, but I feel more isolated than ever before. And immediately connected, right? Not just like people that I can call up when I need to, but I carry them around. I have contacts with me everywhere I go. I have an Apple who has like an Apple Watch or something. So it's not even on your phone anymore, right? So we've developed these thousands of digital connections with people around the world, but we've lost the capacity to have meaningful, deep connections in that context. And this is deeply problematic for you guys as people of character, people pursuing character, because character is not developed in a vacuum. And more importantly, our mission can't be done through shallow relationships. Your character will not be developed without strong, supportive relationships, strong, supportive friends who will walk with you along the way. And discipleship and evangelism and the things you're called to will not be done on surface-level digital connections. 
So then our solution here is really simply is we need to begin to pursue relational quality over quantity. We need, we need to begin to pursue relationships that allow you to go deeper, that allow you to be real with people, that allow you to talk about your full identity like we talked about a couple minutes ago, right? You need to begin to invest in relationships with people who know and accept your full identity, not just people who are friends with you because of your curated public image. Because guys, it's really easy to get friends and connect with people when they only see the best side of me, right? But I'm not going to grow there. I need to develop relationships with people who see my flaws, who see my challenges, who see my negative traits, and love me despite them, and will help me work through them. Because you're here this weekend because you are a leader, and you want to grow as a leader, and you want to grow in someone in character. And that will only happen if you have friends in your life who are willing to highlight the best things about you, but then also call out the weaknesses in you. And this is not a sales pitch for Summit, but as a student at Summit, I loved my time here because we're in a close community. And so I spent 24 hours a day with people, some of whom I liked, some of whom I didn't. But in that environment, I had friends who were able to see me at my best and also see me at my worst. And they were able to call out things in me that I was able to address and fix, and I'm a better leader because of it. Right, Nico, Soraya probably experienced the same thing. You were to develop friendships as leaders. The friendships you develop will be foundational and shaping who you are as a leader. And if your relationships and connections never go beyond a digital level, you will never progress as a leader. Does that make sense? And as a caveat here, when I say relationship, I'm not talking just romantic or anything like that, but develop relationships with friends, mentors, colleagues, whatever it is. Surround yourself with people who will invest in you and that you can invest in them. And this is what Jesus did, right? So you look at the Gospels. Jesus connected with the masses. Jesus fed the 5,000. He preached to the multitudes. He was surrounded by crowds, right? Jesus was like the OG social networker. He had thousands of connections. But then he had a core group of disciples with, that, that he was with, that he invested in and he built relationship with. So he got past the surface with a select view of people and he invested in them and called out the best and worst in them. And you work through the Gospels, and this is not like a preachy workshop, so I'm going to try to move on here. But you look at the Gospels and Jesus took these 12 people and he said, you, I'm calling something out in you. But then also he said, Peter, you're kind of an idiot right now and you need to be better. Right? And so you need to follow this model? Do you have people in your life who will follow the best in you, but also people in your life who will say, like, Soraya, like, you need to get your crap together, right? You do. Yeah, we'll talk after. Right? So our challenge is the same. And don't mistreat me. Digital networks are fine. Instagram, Snapchat, apparently not Facebook, because I'm old. I don't know. What are you guys using? What social network are you on? Other is. Like YouTube? Tumblr? Discord? I don't even know what that is. Oh, Lord. Right? So whatever it is, these networks are fine. I'm not telling you to like delete all your friends and followers. But you need to find a close group of offline relationships that you can invest in and be invested through. Okay, second issue is shallowness. We, pro- we uh, practice shall- uh, selective vulnerability, sorry. And this is closely linked here. But vulnerability, do you guys have heard this word before? This is kind of like a buzzword. 
vulnerability uh, is interesting because there's a shift right now towards vulnerability on social media. So for a long time, like when Instagram first came out, uh, if I could pick on like the girls for a second, when Instagram first came out, anytime a girl had to post like a selfie on Instagram, it's like heavily filtered, great lighting, best angle. You ever see like these girls taking these photos? They have like a friend standing on a desk, Instagram? like trying to get it. What? Oh, count yourself privileged, Um, right? They always have like their best makeup on, their best filter. But now there's a shift where actually the new trend is to like go makeup free, no filter, hashtag woke up like this, right? This is a trend. But this is what I call selective vulnerability, where we're being vulnerable, but we're selective, uh, selectively, selectively being vulnerable in areas that culture has dictated to be appropriate. Right? It's the same thing with mental health. For a long time, our culture didn't take mental health seriously. Right? When I was in high school, if I had, if I was like feeling depressed or if I was struggling with anxiety, I was told to like walk it off or like go have a coffee or something. Right? That was like the approach to mental health. Thankfully, we've shifted and we've reduced the stigma on mental health. So 10 years ago, 10 years ago, if I posted a picture on Facebook, don't judge me, saying that I was struggling with depression, people would probably tell me to like cheer up and that would be like a weird post. But now it's culturally acceptable with things like Bell Let's Talk to be more open with those those areas of struggle, right? If you're struggling with like mental health, culturally it's acceptable. And that's good, but the issue is as leaders, we still are only vulnerable in select areas where culture has dictated it's okay to be vulnerable. So mental health, it's okay to be pretty vulnerable now. But maybe if I struggle with addiction, that's still not really appropriate, so I don't have relationships where I can be vulnerable with. Uh, Maybe if I struggle with pornography or sexual immorality or something like that, it's not socially acceptable to be vulnerable in those areas. And so the trap here for leaders is if we don't develop those meaningful relationships and we can't practice vulnerability with close, trusted friends, we're never going to engage and address those areas of challenge for us. And so our approach here then is we need to begin as leaders to practice appropriate vulnerability. We need to have those quality relationships that we talked about in the first point and practice vulnerability in the context of those relationships to address the things we struggle with. We need to be open with our challenges, open with our doubts. Guys, for a long time, excuse me, I didn't have anyone in my life that I could be open with about the doubts I had about my faith. And it was until probably my third year of Bible college that I had friends that I was comfortably vulnerable with. So I went through 22 years of Christian belief without having a single person that I could tell that, you know, sometimes I actually don't know if God is real, right? And that's the challenge when we have shallow relationships because that problem is not going to solve itself. You'll just get burnt out and leave the faith. So you need to find relationships where you can confide in someone, your youth pastor, your mentor, your colleague, and say, this is what I'm doubting. I don't know if I actually believe this anymore. Or this is what I'm struggling with. These are the boundaries I'm having problems with. And now note, I'm saying appropriate vulnerability. I'm not saying that you just start live streaming every like dark thought you have, right? Don't misinterpret this. Don't leave the seminar and start like blogging about every challenge you have. Vulnerability is not the same as oversharing. But we need to be honest about our weaknesses with people we can trust so that we can grow and develop as a leader and a follower of Christ. Right? If we're going to address the shallowness and if we're going to address, more importantly, the challenges in our lives as leaders and if we're going to grow character as leaders, we need to have people we can be vulnerable with. And we do that by pursuing quality relationships. Cool? All right. 
Third trap. This one I want to camp out here for a bit. This is important. Deception. Social media, more than any other digital medium in the history of probably modern society, has has uh, created access to information. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm just really emotional about deception. All right. We have access to more information than ever before. And within that specifically, we have more volume of information, right? So if I want to learn about like the history of chairs, I can go online and Google chair history and spend the next like six months reading ebooks and blogs and Wikipedia and watching YouTube videos about how like chairs were invented. But also the speed of information has changed. So now when stuff occurs anywhere in the world, it is instantly accessible for me. To the point now where we see news events before news used to be about what, what happened prior, right? When you watch the news, it was about what happened earlier in the day. Now news is often live. And we saw this just a couple days ago with the mass shooting in New Zealand where we saw it unfold live. Literally, we've, we now have terrorists who can live stream what they're doing on the internet. And so with this, as we have access to more information, there's also more misinformation, right? And we all joke and hear, like, Trump talk about fake news, and that's not really what I'm talking about, although there's merit there. But we see false and, and misleading information gaining traction and prominence on social media. So you look at, like, the emergence of flat earth belief, right? Like PewDiePie. Oh, PewDiePie. What a guy. Right? I don't even know what that means. Um, right? So we, we, we have an emergence now of people who don't believe the earth is round. Right? Vaccinations. Vaccinations, right? People who, who deny the benefit of vaccinations. Uh, conspiracy theories emerging. Denial of, of global warming. Or genuine fake news, right? You saw this. You're going to see this now as we head into an election year in Canada. You're already seeing fake news on both sides of that political spectrum coming out. And guys, just as like a side note, when people talk about fake news, news. Fake news is news that is like factually incorrect. It's not just news you don't like, right? So, just as like an aside, learn to filter that. Um, but as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, we're also challenged on what is true and factual about our own beliefs, right? On social media, we face challenges about what is true about God, what is true about Jesus and who Jesus claimed to be, what is true about Scripture, and not just pushback from like the world or non-Christian friends, but we begin to see deception from other Christians. Christians who believe that God promises certain things, or that if you're a Christian, you behave a certain way, or that if you're a true Christian, you'll receive certain blessings, right? I saw on Facebook the other day that like if I pray hard enough, God will give me a new home, which is great because I'm a millennial in British Columbia, and I'd love to own a home one day, and if it happens, it's only coming from God, right? I saw a picture that said, like, if you're a true believer in Jesus, you have to share this photo. And it was like a minion holding a cross. Right? right? And so that's deceptive though, right? Because I didn't share that photo, but I think I'm still a Christian, right? So sometimes it's like stupid things like that. But sometimes we see things saying that true Christians will vote for this person or true Christians will believe this or whatever it is. And the challenge here is people as, as people of character and people pursuing character, we need to be people and leaders who value and understand truth. And we need to be able to filter all of this information and all this misinformation that comes through our feeds and know what is true and what is real and what is not. And so how do we do that? Really simply, we use discernment. 
We can't take things we see online at face value. We need to practice discernment to evaluate what is true. And discernment can take a lot of forms. Sometimes discernment is a spiritual practice, right? James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, uh, ask God and he gives it generously without reproach and it will be given to him, right? So sometimes discernment means bowing your head and praying and asking God for wisdom and clarity in a moment. But sometimes discernment is as simple as fact-checking. Guys, your generation, or our generation, right, because I'm young, right, you're going to be subjected to more fake news and more misinformation than ever before. How many of you are like 17, 18? How many of you are younger, right? So you guys are coming to an age where you're going to be voting soon, you're going to be entering the workforce, you're going to be engaging in democracy, you're going to be engaging probably in academics if you're continuing your studies, which is great, but along that way, you're going to be told things that are factually incorrect in order to gauge a reaction from you or to change your behavior. And so before you react as a leader and as a follower of Christ, you need to pause and ask, how do I know is this true? And I see so many leaders today who spread misinformation that can be refuted with a simple Google search. Right? Christians are sometimes the worst at this. We share things that are so blatantly false because we don't pause to fact check. And this is damaging because if I'm a follower, if you're a leader and I'm following you, and I can't trust what you're posting on Facebook, how can I trust what you're telling me about Scripture? If I can't trust you to discern truth for yourself, how can I trust you to teach me what is true? So if you want your character to be something that is credible... You need to discern what is true. But the second thing here, I want to go beyond this, because this is obvious, right? When we talk about deception, what is true and false? Like this is talk we talk about this a lot. Right, wrong, black, white. But I want to talk about just be we've been deceived about what is necessary. Social media has begun to deceive us about what is necessary. And what I mean here is social media especially brings debates and arguments and issues to prominence that ultimately don't really matter. Or they matter less than things that we neglect. And sometimes as Christians, we get so caught up in being right, we get so caught up in in winning arguments, that we ignore the things that are more important. And so we win arguments... Right? Sometimes we are right, and we win arguments, but we lose people along the way. And I see this all the time with things that are controversial politically or morally or ethically. Things about abortion, or LGBT issues, or SOGI, or you look at like politics, or economics, right? Like talking about socialism, or elections. You know, Justin Trudeau, or Andrew Scheer, or Donald Trump, or Hillary Clinton, or whatever it is. And we post content and we share things and we engage in dialogue and we start or engage in arguments where maybe we're right. Maybe we are correct in that moment. But we never stop to ask, is this necessary right now? Did you guys hear about um, the Pulse nightclub shooting last year, two years ago? So there's a shooting in Orlando at a nightclub and I think maybe 20 or 30 people were killed. Um, but it was a nightclub that was mostly, it was a gay nightclub, so most of the victims were uh, people of the LGBT community. And so most of the Christians I saw posting on this were talking about their condolences, praying for Orlando, praying for the lost, praying for those families they were grieving and showing compassion. But I also saw people using that platform to engage about a dialogue about his homosexuality right. And they, and they piggybacked off that tragedy and talked about why homosexuality is wrong. 
And guys, maybe that's correct. That's not my workshop. I'm not talking about sexuality. But let's just, for argument's sake, say that homosexuality is wrong, and then in that moment they were right. So they were right, but it was completely unnecessary. Right? And as Christians, we need to discern. We need to stop and ask, is this necessary right now? Even if I'm correct, even if my belief is the accurate, correct belief, is it necessary for me to engage in an argument about that belief right now? You see this with abortion a lot, right? When I was growing up, I had friends who went and protested outside of abortion clinics and yelled at people who were going to those abortion clinics. And maybe they were right. Again, not the can of worms I'm opening right now. But let's assume that abortion is wrong. In that moment where you have a single mom who's questioning everything and every decision she's made and making the hardest decision of her life, you might be right in believing that abortion's wrong, but it's probably not necessary for you to present that to her in that moment. And so we've been believed, we've been deceived into believing that as long as something is right, it's worth sharing. And that's simply not true. Because I've seen a lot of Christians who have won a lot of arguments, but just lost people along the way. I've been on social media for a long time, and I've seen more arguments than I can count about abortion, about LGBT, about SOGI, about politics, about Trump and Trudeau and fake news and everything. And I've seen Christians who are right a lot of the time, but I've never seen a single person have their mind changed or come to Jesus because of those arguments. But I have seen people who have left the church because they were wrong, but they were wrong in something that wasn't necessary to be debated. So as leaders pursuing character, don't fall into the trap of deception that tells you that everything is necessary in this moment. Truth is foundationally important to your beliefs, but not every truth is equally important in every moment. Our solution here simply is use discretion. We need to ask ourselves, is engaging in this argument important right now, or are there bigger issues? Again, looking at that ultimate calling, doing justice, loving kindness, making disciples, we need to ask, is engaging in this argument to present my truth, is that necessary? Is it furthering that ultimate goal? Or can we agree to disagree because I have a bigger calling at stake here? Guys, do you like know who Ben Shapiro is? Does anyone watch Ben Shapiro? Oh, Lord. Guys, Ben Shapiro is right a lot of the time. He has correct opinions about things that are complicated. But Ben Shapiro's famous expression is, facts don't care about your feelings. Have you guys heard this? Facts don't care about your feelings? Guys, can I, like, spoil this for a second? Jesus cares about your feelings, Right? And so if maybe facts don't care about your feelings, but as leaders, we should care about people's feelings. And my concern with young leaders is when we look to people who are combative and abrasive, who are maybe right, like a Ben Shapiro or whoever, maybe they're correct. Maybe they have the right view, the right position. But if we adopt that practice and engage in dialogue in the same way, where we present what is right but don't care about people's feelings, it doesn't matter how how accurate we are because we're going to lose everyone along the way. And so we need to step back and ask, if my facts are damaging a relationship and hindering someone's pursuit of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I need to evaluate, are these facts really necessary in this moment? Just because something is true doesn't mean it's necessary. Any questions on this? Are we tracking? So deception. As people of character, understand that we need to know what is true and when it is necessary to present those truths. 
Alright, the next trap we can fall into is jealousy. This one's easy. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But I think we've all been jealous of something we've seen on social media. Yeah? No? No one else? Right? Two core areas I want to touch on here, though. First, we've begun to believe on social media that we need to have more. Right? So we talked about those curated feeds. And we see what our friends are getting when they're getting the best and newest thing, right? They're getting like the newest iPhone or new clothes or new cars or whatever it is. And we begin that we, we begin to feel like we need to have those things, those same brands, that same look, those same devices or whatever it is to fit in. I see this even at Summit. Usually it's shoes. Someone has like a weird shoe thing. When I was a student, it was like Tom's. Does anyone remember Tom's? Tom's shoes, right? Those were like a big thing where everyone had to have Tom's and then everyone had to post on Facebook about their Tom's. Then it was like hunter boots. Did anyone ever get hunter boots? Like $200 rain boots? Don't get the appeal. But now it's uh, Blundstones. Does it have Blundstones? Anyone wearing them right in the Nico? Yeah, so I was like making this PowerPoint. I was going to make fun of Blundstones for a while and how you don't need to have Blundstones to be cool. But my wife made me go buy her a pair yesterday. So (laughs) now I don't have a metaphor and I'm like $300 poorer. Uh That was really good Thank you. Nailed it. Okay, so, but we see this, right? Have you guys experienced this where we see things people are posting and we feel like we need to have those things? We often see this, though, with experiences as well. Your generation and my generation, statistically, we actually care less about things. We're less, like, consumeristic. We're less, like, uh, possession-driven. But now we focus on experiences. We want to travel. Who wants to travel? Who gets super jealous when they see those, like, full-time travel bloggers who are getting paid to go to, like, Tahiti? Worst. Right? We care We care less about things and want experiences. We want to go to the best restaurants. We think we need to be eating out every day. The best coffee shops. Seeing all the newest uh, tourist attractions in the area or whatever it is. We can't get through a meal anymore without posting about it or seeing someone in the restaurant posting. And so when we see these posts, we feel like we need to live up to that standard that's being presented. And we begin to get jealous of what others are doing. And jealousy is dangerous because it's, it's damaging to our character and it's also damaging to our witness as leaders. So our solution here is simply... Could you grab me another bottle? Thank you. Um, is we need to find contentment in what we have. We need to realize how blessed we truly are as followers of Jesus. And primarily, this is beyond counting our blessings and material things, but we need to look beyond the things in this world and realize that we are people who have been loved and accepted by Jesus Christ. And so every time I'm jealous of, of my friend who has a new iPhone or got to go to the new restaurant or is like spending three weeks in Spain or whatever it is, we remember that I don't need those things and those things are less valuable to me because I have the most valuable thing of all and that's the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right? Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we find contentment in knowing that we have Jesus Christ and that he will never forsake us so we don't need to stress about pursuing the latest gadget or best restaurant experience or whatever it is because we already have the greatest thing we can ask for but beyond that we count the blessings we do have in this world because if you're here today i can guarantee that we in a global context are tremendously blessed 
And I don't know where you guys come from, and I don't want to downplay that maybe you come from a, a hard home or, or a family that struggles to make ends meet, or maybe like budget's a little tight at the end of the month. But if you're here, you have access to clean water, to food, to shelter. You have a pastor who believes in you and sees a calling on your life. You have friends who are investing in you. And I know we might have challenges, but in a global context where billions of people don't have food, don't have water, where we have the highest level of refugees at any point in history, we need to remember that we're incredibly blessed. And so when we're scrolling for our, through our feeds, instead of looking at the things we don't have, instead of becoming jealous about the things we can't do, let's celebrate the things we've been given. Choose contentment in what you have over jealousy in what you don't. The second jealousy trap that we can fall into is we believe that we need to be more. And this one is becoming more prominent because we've gotten better at this. We've gotten better at saying, you know what, I don't need like the latest gadget to be cool or be popular or whatever. But we're beginning to fall in this trap that we need to be more. And what I mean by this is when we look around, we don't just see what others are, are getting or what they're doing. We're seeing what they're becoming. And we can get jealous of their achievements and their progress in life. And so when you see friends who are getting into colleges that we wanted to get into, who are getting jobs that maybe we wanted, who are graduating, right? You guys good? When we see friends who are, you know, at my stage in life, friends who are like having kids, getting married, getting engaged, whatever it is, it's easy to become jealous of, of who they are and what they're becoming. We feel like we need to be more in order to be valuable and accepted. When we see friends entering relationships, or maybe it's little things, they find a date to prom before we do. Do you guys still do proms? I'm so old. I'm so relevant. Um, whatever it is, we hold ourselves up to this curated standard and think that we need to achieve more in our life in order to be valuable and accepted. But as leaders, our solution to this is we find contentment in what you're called to. Our value and identity doesn't come from cultural standards or achievements. It comes from what Christ has called us to. And so I find contentment not in the fact that I have a job or that I went to college or that I'm married. I find contentment in knowing that I'm called to a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm pursuing that actively. I find contentment not in the achievements I have, but in the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. I find contentment not in what I'm doing, but in the love that I've already received. And again, we talked about doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly. My measure of success is not these worldly, western, cultural, metrics of job, kid, family, white picket fence, whatever it is, my contentment is knowing that I'm pursuing the things that God has called me to do, and my calling goes beyond the things of this world. So I don't need to be jealous when my friend gets a promotion or enters a relationship or whatever those things are, because my life and my purpose is something greater. As a leader especially, as a leader of Christian character, as someone pursuing Christian character, our antidote to jealousy is knowing that success doesn't come from cultural standards, but comes from what we're called to do. So I don't need to be jealous of other people because I'm called to something greater. Our last trap, and I want to touch on this one quickly so we have some time for questions, is temptation. You guys have more access to dangerous and tempting vices than ever before in history. Social media and the internet in general has made vices unprecedentedly accessible. Do you guys know what I mean when I say vices? 
right? So vices are things that you draw pleasure from. So those can be things that are not inherently bad. So maybe your vice is video games or fast food or chips or whatever. Sometimes they are bad things. Maybe it's gambling or or sexual intimacy, thank you, or pornography or whatever it is. But these things that maybe they're good, maybe they're bad, but in either way you have a hard time practicing moderation. They're negative things that tempt you. And social media and the rise of internet has made these things always accessible and always prominent. So the biggest one is pornography. And this isn't my workshop. If you wanted, you should have gone to the sexuality one. But you've seen a a really dramatic shift in how uh, sexual desire and sexual, excuse me, sexual lust can be pursued. So my parents' generation, if they wanted pornography, if they wanted uh, to pursue sexual engagement outside of marriage they'd like go to a store and like physically buy a magazine or something right there's like a cumbersome process and then my generation was the emergence of internet and online pornography where before unlike any time before pornography was always accessible and always available you just had to pick up a computer or phone but for you guys it's been taken one step further where now pornography has shifted and it comes to you and sexual desire and sexual temptation comes to you through snapchat and sex scene and things like that. And so statistically what we're seeing is your generation is actually looking at pornography less but engaging with sex, uh, sexting and digital sexuality more than ever before. And so again, as leaders pursuing a high standard of character, we need to be able to resist these temptations that have become culturally acceptable. And maybe it's not pornography. We talk about pornography a lot. But things like gluttony, right? Who struggles with gluttony? I do. Right, But now with the emergence of something like skip the dishes, I can have any food I want, any time I want, delivered to my house without getting off of my couch. I just use my phone. Do you guys use skip the dishes? Right? Think about consumerism. Right? Consumerism. Getting infatuated with things. I'm constantly seeing ads on my social media, and through apps I can shop and have anything I want, virtually anything I want, at my doorstep within two days. Think about partying, fame, uh, drugs, alcohol. Think about like Firefest. Did you guys see the Firefest documentary? So you had an entire fake festival marketing on social media. maximizing on the desire for people to pursue fame and connect with people of popularity. Think about laziness and and sloth, right? I can now watch seven seasons of The Office or six seasons of New Girl in a row without getting off my couch. So your generation, whatever your vice is, whatever tempts you, whatever you find uh, fulfillment, more than any generation before is going to have to wrestle with a healthy amount of those things and wrestle with resisting temptation and of excess in those things. Social media has made these things more accepted than ever before. And again, our solution is relatively simple. We need to make self-control a habit. Our culture has said we can have everything we want and we can have it immediately. But scripture calls us to be people of discipline, of self-control, and of moderation. And the only way to do that is to make self-control and discipline habitual. And so we talked about developing those quality relationships. People who you can be vulnerable with. This is where this is important. Because if you have areas of struggle, you need to find people who will hold you accountable in those areas. Especially in a digital age where increasingly the things we struggle with can remain entirely online, entirely digital, entirely private. So find people who you can trust and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And have them hold you accountable to it. 
We also need to make a practice of setting limits. If you want one practical takeaway from this workshop, make a practice of setting limits, not just areas you struggle with, but in other areas as well. So that discipline becomes habitual. So for me, I struggle with snacking, right? I'm like Kim. Kim talked about how she can't resist baked goods. I'm the same way. My wife literally can't bake things anymore because I'll just plow through a dozen cookies in like a day and a half. So I've set limits on the amount of snacks I eat. My wife has set limits on the amount of snacks I eat, right? But I've also set limits on the amount of TV I watch every day. Not because that's a huge challenge for me, I don't watch that much to begin with, but because I want to make limiting myself a habit. Set limits on the amount of social media you use, right? You can do that on your phone now. Whatever it is, make self-control and discipline habitual so that you don't fall into the trap of temptation. Um, we're going to skip this part because we got like three minutes left here. Do you guys have any questions? I hope this made sense to you. Guys, I hope, I hope this is tracking because you guys are, are in a unique era in the progression of, of relationships and digital connectivity where you guys have so much access and so much positivity that can come out of your social media use. But as you guys are pursuing your call this weekend to people of character, I encourage you to keep in mind that these tools, these networks, there are challenges there that we need to remain aware of. So I hope this was helpful for you guys. Any questions quick? All right. Enjoy the rest of the weekend.